Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first on Second Thought. You heard the lady on Second Thought, episode 222, brought to you by Hookup.com and our good friends at Bud Light. I'm Cedric Golden of the Austin American Statesman, joined by the Duck, Kirk Bowles. And Duck, a little bit later, we're going we're gonna to talk to our friend Carlos Silva of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. Talk to him a little bit about Texas Tech. They're in our they're in our uh, number nine in our poll. But first, a little hardware coming coming back to the uh, forty acres. Texas continues to have a special special season in spring sports. What's gotten into the Longhorns? I wonder what's in the water over there. They're they're drinking something, and uh, like I wrote today, I want some of that. I mean. Listen to this. I mean, the women's tennis, as you just referred, just won the, the national championship. Uh, it was the second one for the, for the calendar year for the Longhorn, men swimming and diving. You know, Eddie Reese, of course, Mr. Automatic, won uh, his 15th national championship. But they've had seven teams, count them, seven, that have finished in the top five in the nation. And, and that doesn't even count the teams that are still playing softball. Punched their ticket to the Super Regional by beating Oregon in a game that lasted 16 hours, it seemed like. And the baseball team is playing, uh, even as we speak this week, uh, in the Big 12 baseball tournament. So, And they're assured of a, of a top eight national seed in baseball to host a regional. If they win that, I can't imagine them being denied hosting privileges for a Super Regional. So it's – Oh, they're getting both, orange. yeah. It's all orange right now. And just wait till that football team gets after him, Duck. Oh, hey, 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 slow down. Whoa, slow down. whoa, whoa. whoa. That's, that's next. Why are you trying to school. slow me down? That's next. You got, a, you got a new coach. You got a new quarterback. You got new receivers. You know, uh, unless you're ready to make a prediction here. You're I'm, already making excuses? No, I'm just dealing in reality. I deal in reality. If you want to go ahead and say they're going to win the Big 12, uh, that would be a crazy prediction. I'd love to hear you say that. Well, Howard Joppy is not like he's been around tennis for 20 years. He he came in and took care of business. Why can't uh, Steve Sarkeesian do something like that? Oh, so you're saying he should. He's expected to be in the playoffs. Is that what makes, you're talking about? He makes more money than Howard Joppy. It's got nothing to do with money. Joppy, I'm sorry. I get, I, I get Howard Joppy mixed up with William Joppy, the former boxer. Joppy, I'm sorry. He's a great coach. Came in from A and M and thought he had a little better chance to better glory here at Texas. And darn if he didn't find it in Orlando, Florida. What a, what a gritty effort by that that uh, team and the women's golf team. They they got uh, bumped in the quarterfinals after leading two zero in match play. So, uh, 
but it's all good. I mean, they're competitive nationally uh, on every level. Now you just got to do it in football and basketball. You know what? And it goes back to the, the 2002 when Texas was, was one of the big dogs in all sports. Sports oh. Illustrated did that great cover with uh, Stanford on one side and Texas on the other. You had Chris Sims, TJ Ford, Mushami Roberts, Robinson, and, and the incomparable Cat Osterman were on the cover of SI. And That was uh, the Cedric Golden era of uh, UTE uh, sports. It actually was the Cedric Golden era because I Pretty show cool. up on UT Football Beat in 02. All it took. I cover Chris Sims and Roderick Babers and Seb Benson. It did and, take you a while to beat Oklahoma, though. Uh, yeah, it took me a while to get over that hump. <laughs> Uh, I, I was I was largely conservative in 04. I didn't turn <laughs> VY loose. I had him in shackles. Uh, but in 05, I said, you know what, VY, I'm going to leave you alone. And I'm going to leave you and I'm going to let you be a leader. That's good the coach. The rest was magic. The rest was magic. Good coach. So, uh, I don't know. I know you stayed up. I mean, our, our, our listeners don't know this, but I was covering the softball doubleheader against Oregon. I was hoping it'd be one game. It turned out to be a doubleheader. Game two starts at like 11.20 Sunday night. And you, Cedric Golden, who should have been in bed resting up for your all-night poker parties, but you were there. You watched it, you know, first pitch to last. I mean, are you, are you a softball aficionado now? I'm not a softball aficionado now. But shout out to, to Camille Corona, the oh, wonderkin third baseman from Dripping Springs, the freshman. Shout out to Janae Jefferson. Shout out to my fellow East Texan, Jordan Whitaker, comes off the bench, pinch hit, single. Next game, she gets the RBI for the win uh, from Jacksonville High, uh, Jacksonville High School. Those, those representing those kids. Uh, shout out to Mike White for putting it in the hands of, of young freshmen uh, in a big stage and, and pushing all the right buttons to get this thing done. You know, you're exactly right. And, uh, you know, you and I don't follow softball intently like, you know, Danny Davis and a lot of their fans. But, I mean, Camille Corona, you know, sister of uh, our friend Christian, great genes. They're out of Dripping Springs. I mean, she was like the fifth third baseman they've auditioned there. You know, and I think this was her ninth and tenth straight games to start. But, she really solidified that infield uh, defense that's been shaky at best, ranked like 217th in the country. And the shout-out to Mike White, so well-deserved because he's still tinkering with that lineup. Now, he's about offense. He's, he's trying to get the best bats uh, in the game. But if you watch that first game against Oregon and, and Taylor Ellsworth, you know, Messing up that Willie Mays basket catch was painful was to watch. Brutal, brutal in right field. That was brutal. Oh, it was painful. And they made a lot of, like, defensive errors. So he just wants to outscore people. But in those those last two games, I mean, they only scored, uh, what was it, three runs. They lost three to two, losing eight innings, and they win one nothing. Molly Jacobson, you got to shout out to Big the, time. The, the fifth or sixth-year senior transfer from Ole Miss was at once the national – Juco player of the year, and she throws a five-hit shutout. I mean, it's, it was very impressive. Now they got to go to Stillwater on Friday for a Super Regional. Got to win a couple against the Cowgirls who've owned Texas, beat them 
all four times this year. Three of them, uh, I think, in, in Austin. So uh, not not a good year for UT softball against Oklahoma teams. No, not not at all. So we we wish them well. Hope they uh, keep their momentum going. And baseball team, okay, you know they're playing in the, uh, Oklahoma City as we speak this week. You know, David Pierce. I was on a Zoom with him earlier in the week, and he said, "I don't really like the postseason tournament," and I agree with him because don't blame him. And, you know, a lot of these basketball tournaments are to make money. You know, it's about TV inventory, selling tickets, making some money, selling some popcorn. And like he said, David Pierce said, baseball tournaments, postseason conference from don't make any money. You know, it's, it's, it costs money. And so what is your intent? Your intent is to, what, give seven, eight, nine teams a chance to get in the playoffs? Well, I agree with David. I think they need to scotch the postseason conference baseball tournament. So what do you think they should get out of it this week since they're probably assured a, a top eight national seed already? Just get some guys some reps. And if guys are tired, sit them. Get them ready. Get them fresh. And um, I, I wouldn't ro- I wouldn't throw Ty Madden that much this weekend. Well, I wouldn't. It was starting Wednesday, so we'll see how oh, yeah. he did. Oh, yeah. Oh, so it started Wednesday and you see how he did. I just, right. you know, and yeah, this is taped. By the time you see this, it will will have been over. Uh, I will go out right now and go, if he started, he didn't play much. He didn't, he didn't pitch. He's well, he not going to be in a pitch count, but he wants yeah. to get some of those other guys like Jared Southard and there you go. Uh, Quintanilla, some of those guys get some innings. Cause get, like Col- get Colby Kubitschek settled yeah. in. Thank you. Thank those you. are the guys that you might need down yeah. the line. Cole yeah. Quintanilla, but your main line guys, your Ty Maddens, your uh, Tristan Stevensons, and your and your Pete Hansons, we know what yeah. those guys. Tanner Witt, he showed us what he's got. He's don't ready to roll. Don't so extend them. Don't extend those guys because these games don't mean anything. They Nothing. just don't. And you just want to come out of there healthy and ready to make a real run to Omaha. Absolutely. And he also mentioned he'd like to get some more ABs for like Murphy Staley and Dylan Campbell and Lance Ford, some of the guys that he knows will be in pinch hit roles since they can maybe come through like a Jordan Whitaker did uh, for the softball team. So, uh, but hey, it's all good. Uh, we love covering the Longhorns, especially love covering them in May and June when so much is on the line. There you go, Hayden again. Don't hate on September, October, November, December. I am on the Sark wagon right now. Will you you live in the moment? You live in the moment. So, hey, before we let you go, anything you're watching? uh, You know, I'm still watching your honor. First of all, I'm not going anywhere. We have a whole nother segment going, but uh, coming up. But, yeah, we got to talk to Carlos. But, uh, yes, uh, I just started Deadwood from way back in the day on HBO. And it's a Western that everybody in the world except for me has seen. Uh, Timothy Oliphant, Ian McShane, Powers Booth, great cast. It's about the, uh, it's about a frontier town that's, that's building up. And uh, in the 1870s, you know, post, post slavery. Right. And it's uh, really well acted and it's some really good writing. And what's it on? It's on HBO max. Okay. Hey, I don't know if you saw that today. Amazon just bought MGM for like, Almost hey, Bill. $9, $9 hey, billion. Dollars. 
and they own the James Bond series. I'm Whatever. a big James Bond fan. Oh my God. And it's so sacrilegious. Who cares? James Bond, Sean Connery, you speaking ill of the dead? I'm What's waiting on a with you. I'm waiting on a black James Bond. I, I'm I waiting. Truth or fiction. How many James Bond movies have you seen? Uh Octopussy, Live and Let Die, um, The Living Daylights with Timothy Dalton, whichever one Halle Berry was in. Um Die Another Day. No, yeah. Um, name them and I'll tell you if I've seen well, them. My favorite is Goldfinger. That's my favorite of all time. Watched it. Great music. But my next two favorite are probably the ones with Daniel Craig with the Skyfall and I love Casino Royale. That was a great one. I saw that one. It's the last one I saw. Her Majesty's Her Majesty's Service. Oh, that was a one. bad one. Yeah, that was I saw that, that one. The English guy. Roger Moore, I did not like as James Bond at all. Which one was the one with the Duran Duran did the did the music too? I saw that one, but um, yeah. I've seen I've seen a maybe ten or ten or eleven of them. I haven't, I've seen all of them. I can't wait. I, but I'm not I'm not a huge not a huge fan of Bond. Not a huge fan. But are only four thousand there are only four thousand movie titles in that MGM library. But they did it because of the Bond series. That was the big Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's get to our guests. Duck, we are back with our second installment of our summer Big 12 football preview series. And the Texas Tech Red Raiders roll in in our poll at number nine to finish the fall. Uh, Tech's coming off a four and six season, three and six in the Big 12 under second year coach Matt Wells. And we are so delighted to be joined by a friend of the podcast, Carlos Silva of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. Carlos, what's happening? Nothing much, fellas. Appreciate y'all calling me because I know Don was busy, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're always our first choice. We oh, love yeah. we love Don Williams, but ever since he he put Austin at the bottom of that best Big Twelve city, <laughs> I've been yeah. I've been a little salty with D Dub. I've been a little salty. I think that could be a plus in itself. But yeah, the other thing too is Don's not an early riser, although it is 10 a.m. So <laughs> well, I'm all with the night out. So yeah. I hear that. So uh yeah. uh well listen, let's dive right into football here. Last year was sure. a terrible year. They were 0-4 on the road. Mm-hmm. They beat Houston Baptist of all people by two points. And uh then they lost five of their next six, including the Texas game, which I don't know, was the Texas game. The loss in overtime after leading by, I think it was 15 with 3.15 left or so. Yep. Was that the turning point in the season, Carlos? I don't know if it's the turning point, but it's certainly one you can look back to. And I, I and if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty, looking at, I know he had COVID in the last game of the season and you barely beat Kansas when clearly you are the better team with some of the better athletes. But I think, uh, at least from my perspective, I know this isn't a popular opinion, but I think last year is just one where you just kind of look at and just say the fact that they got through last year is just a success in itself, to be completely honest with both of y'all. And, and you can say that for Texas and every other football team in the country. Absolutely. So if you really think about it, Matt Wells has come in here, came in late in his first year, still had to kind of recruit a little bit of guys, didn't really kind of get an offseason in, so to speak. Didn't really get an offseason last year because of COVID. 
And now all of a sudden you kind of see him really just retool this roster with a bunch of grad transfers, a bunch of transfers that are likely going to be impact athletes. He hasn't really gone the high school route minus several kind of good guys like a Baron Morton at the quarterback position. But I think right now, I know everyone has them as the popular number nine pick, but I could certainly see them being in that top pack of the big 12 this year because of all the guys that return on defense you would think with Sonny Cumbie now and not David Yo scoring about 25 points a game, you're going to score a little bit more. You're going to be a little bit more varied on the offensive end. In theory, Tyler Shuck should be a huge upgrade from what you've had the last couple of years at the quarterback position. I think that's going to be a huge thing. The question, at least in my mind, and this was the big thing that came out right before uh, spring practices ended, was the fact that Sir Roderick Thompson and uh, Eric Izakonma were out due to injury. Now, if, you get, if you're able to get those guys early in August and they're good to go, I think you have a really good chance. Yeah, they have some young guys behind them. Todd Brooks at running back. You've got uh, Loic Fungi uh, at the wide receiver position that could slot in there. But I think with those two guys, if you don't have those two workhorses, the guys that have kind of been the consistent players for you the last couple of years, Matt Wells has really kind of talked about how great Eric Izakonma is because he hasn't missed a rep. He hasn't done that up until, obviously, he broke his arm. Um, and then Sir Roger Thompson, obviously getting his uh, surgery as well and hopefully being back by the fall. I think all those combined are going to be a reason for optimism for Texas Tech. And here's the, the, the interesting thing, and I think I brought this up to you all before, but when was the last time we're talking about the offense as the problem at Texas Tech? Whereas <laughs> defense, Never. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's really where we're at. Well, Carlos, I don't, uh, we've watched Sonny Cumbie throw it around for many years as the tech quarterback. And then he goes to TCU and uh, there was, there, it was in, it was some stories out there that, that he, that he almost got the job here as the head coach. Yep. Uh, yep. We know that Sonny Cumbie, offensive, offensive. offensive coordinator, that's right. We know that Sonny Cumbie is going to be a head coach one day. Uh, but for now, how does the dynamic change with him coming in to run this offense? I don't think it changes much because the thing with Matt Wells that I think people kind of lose sight with is because you had Cliff Kingsbury for so long. He was essentially your offensive coordinator slash head coach. Matt Wells is a head coach. He lets his offensive coordinator do what he does. He lets his defensive coordinator do what he does. And I think that's maybe one of many reasons Sonny Cumbie was able to go from TCU to Texas Tech, which in itself is interesting because you have a coach going from an in-state rival to another in-state rival never seen that before right guys um, but <laughs> too soon you get, yeah you, yeah you get him going as the offensive coordinator I think he's going to have a lot more freedom to do what he does it's not going to be your typical air raid but it's going to be something that's a lot more varied than throwing your bubble screens and kind of figuring out maybe there are some runs that'll work which is essentially what David Yost did he had a he had if I'm not mistaken he had mentioned like five to ten plays where you can run as fast as you can Sonny Cumbie has gone on record and said we may go fast, we may go slow. It just depends on the pace of the game because he understands that the offense dictates how the defense is going to play. And certainly the defense played well last year, but I think the thing that was a little bit frustrating, I don't think many of the players or the coaches on the defensive side mentioned this, but when you make big plays, you get a turnover and then your offense goes three and out. That's a little bit deflating for a defense that's been out there maybe three or four minutes and they're able to make that big play, which they're expected to do. And then the offense, which again, has been touted as this big, fast-paced 
offense that's going to score points when you do get them, the ball doesn't do it. I think that was a little bit deflating for them. And I think just getting a new guy, Sonny Cumbie, and not only that, but then you get all these guys back on defense that have made all these plays for you, like a Colin Schooler and all these other guys. I think that's going to be the big thing for Texas Tech is that you know what you have with your defense. It's just now let's figure out what's on offense. And if you have anything of a semblance of a decent offense, you're going to be in pretty good hands this year. Boy, a balanced team, that that would be a nice concept. I was looking at uh, how many double-digit win seasons Tech has had. And uh, do, do you know when the last one was, Carlos? I'm sure you probably do. I guarantee you it's Mike Leach because that's who everyone always goes back to, the golden years of Texas Tech. But the thing that Don and I always joke about, because Don obviously is a historian, as you all, as you all know, they had good years before Mike Leach. Mike Leach just had a couple good years. And again, here's another unpopular opinion that I've always said. Mike Leach got some of those wins against, you know, no-name state sometimes. So, And that was back when you didn't have the, the qualifiers for the bowls to where every year you, this game does not count towards bowl eligibility. You actually have to beat, you know, a Power 5 team and kind of all these things. So I think that's something to also keep in mind. Now, granted, is winning great? Absolutely it is. But the thing is, is I think – People forget, and again, Matt Wells, good coach. Yes, he's made some questionable decisions. I know we, we can go ad nauseum, probably have on our own podcast about that, but I think right. the thing that people should kind of pay attention to is the way that he has retooled this football team to where they're old, they're experienced, they've got guys that have been in the system for a couple years, and now the only thing that he really needed to do was just fix the offense, which is the thing that really struggled last year. He got a guy in Sonny Cumbie. Not only is he a Texas Tech alum, a grad, a guy that has actually been a walk-on that earned a starting spot. So there are certain things that he can kind of talk to some quarterbacks to where, as you guys well know, this transfer portal is really the big thing. He can talk about, I, I was there four years. It took me four years to start. Mm-hmm. Just know your time is coming. So that's something that could play – very, very big. I think Baron Morton may not start, which again, if I had to guess, Tyler Shuck is the leader in the clubhouse. That would be my guess right. in terms of who's going to start next year uh, in the fall. And then probably Baron Morton's probably number two, Donovan Smith may be number three, or maybe a mixture of Henry Columbia in there. But I think those four are probably the ones I would look at just because of experience, because after Shuck and Columbia, you really don't have many starts between the next two guys because Morton's out of Eastland and Donovan Smith uh, injured himself and he came out of friendship. So you got two friendship guys, or I mean, pardon me, a friendship high school quarterback and Eastland high school quarterback. And then you got Henry Columbia who started a couple or started several games last year. And then of course uh, you got Tyler Shuck who started for Oregon last year. So I think that's the biggest thing uh, when you kind of look at that type of type of aspect. Well, tell us a little bit about Tyler Shuck. Uh, he's got the measurables, big arm, six five two twenty was starting at Oregon and then kind of fell out of favor there. And, and, and by the bowl game was, was giving up reps to Anthony Brown, a, a Boston college guy, 16 touchdowns, five picks, um, and getting a little bit of draft love already. Yeah, a little bit of draft love. And, and I think the, the, the one thing that really kind of makes me laugh is when people just kind of go to practice and they say, hey, he looks like a quarterback. Not to say that the guys before him didn't look like one, but, I mean, he looks like your typical quarterback. He's about 6'2", six, 6'3", six, has an arm that can throw, that can make any throw. That's something that's kind of interesting. I know that's something Sonny Cumbie's talked about is there's the big play. We have to stretch the field. That's something that wasn't done with David Yost. Yeah, they would stretch the field, so to speak, going left to right, but they weren't going vertical. And I think that's something Tyler Shuck 
can provide Texas Tech. I think if you look at some of his highlight reels, clearly there's a little bit of bias to highlight reels there to highlight his uh, great throws. And he certainly has made great throws and he's made some other not great throws. But I think the fact that he's able to provide you that is something you haven't had in this offense. And maybe it gives you something to where defenses aren't just, you know, coming up and feeling like, okay, they're not going to throw over top of us. And that's the reason maybe Texas Tech wasn't as great running the football later on in the season because you have great running backs. You have guys that can make plays, but when you have eight in the box, it's pretty tough to get through all those guys when you know that they're going to probably be either running it or they're going to go left to right. And I think for lack of a better term, Texas Tech was a little bit predictable on the offensive end. And I think that really hurt them down the stretch. Um, And as you could see with the Kansas game, just to kind of bring one up, there's something to be said when Kansas was giving up. I can't remember what the number was, but it was in the top 10 of scoring points and rushing yards and passing yards and all that stuff. And you barely scored. I want to say barely in double figures. I think in that last game, 16, 13. Yeah. Yeah. 16, 13. And it's like your offense scored 16 points. Most of those field goals, by the way, against a Jayhawks defense that was not that great. So I think that in itself was one reason uh, you lost your offensive coordinator. But I think the other thing, too, is I, I think they just needed a breath of fresh air. And, and a guy in Sonny Cumbie, I think, is going to be that guy that can kind of lead them. Well, Alan Bowman was so inconsistent. I remember when Texas game was out there in Lubbock and I was watching, I go, he would look different from one series to the next. One series, I go, wow, this guy is big-time talent. The next series, I go, what is he doing starting for a Division One team? It was just so up and down with him, it seemed like. And obviously, like you said, with Shuck, give him that consistency, you know, to expand the offense, be more consistent. I was curious how they got in on him. He's from Arizona, I mm-hmm. think. And uh, I don't know if uh, Colin Schooler, you know, helped with that or what was the whole uh, – Well, I, I, I know initially it was kind of what Cedric – kind of alluded to is Anthony Brown was getting some some reps and Tyler Shuck if I'm not mistaken probably heard that he probably wasn't going to be a starter um, and again the grad transfer route allows you to go to a place where you feel like you can start which Texas Tech certainly would be more than happy to put him in the mix although like I said I feel like he's the leader right now in terms of the guy that will start for you and I think the other thing too that kind of uh, maybe Maybe the pitch from Matt Wells and some of his guys was, hey, there's a guy in uh, Kansas City that was a quarterback here at Texas Tech. Maybe you can kind of do the same things as him. Not to say that he's as dynamic as him, but it's just something that you can say. Texas Tech is known for producing good quarterbacks. Sure. I think to, to, to your point uh, previous, Kirk, is I think people forget, yes, Patrick was great. You had some other great quarterbacks, but I think Cliff Kingsbury may have masked some of the deficiencies of some of his quarterbacks. I mean, you kind of look at Nick Shimanek, he was a guy that kind of just watched guys as he was throwing the ball to them, but he was able to figure out an offense to maybe say, okay, here's your, here's your hot read. Here's your, here's your first route. Here's your second route. And I think it kind of masked some of the things that he did. Cause again, you look at what Alan Bowman did under cliff. Then all of a sudden you switch to David Yost who again, not to, Badmouth him, but he had some other great quarterbacks under him at Missouri. Chase Daniel, you look at him, he had some guys that have gone to the NFL. So I don't know what it was, but there was just something that did not jive between both of them, whether it's because Bowman didn't have Cliff as his guy. I don't know. But I mean, there, there's just, like you said, Kirk, there was just a lot of inconsistency. And again, the other thing too is just, he was just so 
so, so bit wet by the injury bug and bad luck. I mean, yeah. you, you break the, you puncture your lung, you separate a shoulder and not only that, but those are just injuries that keep you out for so long. So yeah, he, he's been in football for three plus years, but he hasn't started that much. Like that's the, the, the thing that Don kind of found out when he was kind of really going through it is just people think Alan Bowman's like this great quarterback, which he can be, that's the potential, but he didn't get enough opportunities to get all the reps in, be consistent. And again, it just goes to your point about that inconsistency. But did Chuck look at other schools? I was curious why tech, they obviously had a need there, but I wondered, did he look at two or three other schools? Uh, from my understanding, he was looking at other power fives. If I had, if I had to guess, I'm sure there were some other big 12 teams. Cause again, any, any team that needs a quarterback is going to be bugging guys or sure. right now for all we know. I mean, if you have a spot that's open, I mean, for lack of a better term, my buddy, Sam Conn at the athletic kind of mentioned it to me when he was here in Lubbock, but I mean, the transfer portal is like free agency. I mean, if you have a spot, I mean, I mean, if you look at it with the, the TCU transfer that they got on the offensive line, TJ Stormont. They had a missing spot, and look, all of a sudden you fill it with a guy that was an All-American, and mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's one of those things where it's like free agency, and Sam kind of went to go on to say like the uh, high school is uh, high school route or the high school recruit is the uh, draft. That, that's essentially what it is. You have free agency in the draft, and I thought those were two really good points by him because now, as I kind of mentioned before, Matt Wells has kind of figured out this transfer portal to where, okay, here are some holes. Here are some things that we need to fill out. We can get some high school kids if we need to, because they are the quote unquote best athlete available. But if you are picking between a high school recruit to where, you know, maybe he'll be good in a year or two compared to maybe a, a ready guy that can play for you. That's and and not to knock on them, but maybe, more accomplished and maybe doesn't have the baggage that a JUCO transfer would have. Mm-hmm. I think there's some value to that. And not only that, but then when they're playing at a division one institution, you can also maybe get some tape and get some, get some words right. from some of the coaches. Cause I know that's something that Matt Wells has talked about with some of the guys that have transferred here is he's known some of the coaches that have dealt with the Collins school or a Marquise waters or some of these other guys that have been brought in on the defensive end. And of course, Keith Patterson as well but they get that evaluation. So you don't necessarily have to just kind of take a guess with some of this, you know, tape on a Juco kid that maybe you've seen a couple years and maybe you think you got something because at the end of the day, Juco kids are just trying to get out of Juco and they're trying to upgrade themselves. Whereas these guys at D1, they've already been through the recruiting process as a high school kid. They've already been through for one or two years at their institution and realize, okay, this is not a situation I like. I want to make sure the next spot I go to puts me in the best position. And I think that in itself puts any coach that gets a transfer uh, athlete in a good position because they know they're both on the same page as that one, you're going to start number two, we're going to put you in a good position to win. Well, I know that works both ways. Uh, You're able to bring in experienced guys, but Mm -hmm. you also lose some experienced guys. And Mm -hmm. I know, uh, at wideout, Jalen Polk left to go to Washington State. Yep. yep. Uh, who wants to go to Pullman? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> uh, Keyshawn Carter leaves for Houston. Uh, yep. That leaves Eric Uzakonwa. Uh, uh, who else is going to catch passes? Well, they've got a bunch of sophomores and a bunch of uh, young guys. Like, that's the thing, Cedric. They, like you said, they're still looking for a wide receiver, if, if I had to guess, in terms of experience, because that's a term that a former – men's basketball coach used to use that Matt Wells uses now is that he wants to stay old with his team. So, um, so you've got guys like a sophomore in Trey Cleveland, you've got freshman JJ Sparkman, who's really kind of shown some, shown some stuff during the, uh, 
the spring practices. A guy that hasn't really been mentioned much, McLean Mannix, he's just been injured so much, but he was a transfer from Nevada that was expected to be a really good slot receiver for him the last couple of years, but he's been out, so he's back. You also got a guy in Dalton Rigdon that's coming back. He's a guy from Perryton High School that he's a local kid that everyone's kind of rooting for. He was doing very well last year. It's just he got hurt on a, on a I want to say it was like a big hit off of a uh, seam route, and then he was out for a couple couple games. And then the thing that really is, I don't know if excitement is the right word, but just the intriguing factor for this Texas Tech offense is they're going to finally use their tight ends. That's something that David Yosef mentioned that they were going to use. And now all of a sudden, Sonny Cumbie says, you know, the way I use tight ends, they could be a wide receiver. They could be a blocker. They could do all these other things. And that's why Travis Coons hopefully can step up this year. He didn't really do much last year, but I'm cer- I'm certain those expectations are higher and I have heard great things about a freshman in Mason Tharp to where they feel like that kid I believe he's six seven six eight which uh, same thing with Travis Coons they've got guys that are tall that can have all these great catch radiuses and be this security blanket I know is, is the term that everyone likes to use but those are two guys that could also be used have experience uh, minus Tharp Travis Coons with the experience at the tight end position that can provide maybe a little bit more uh, I guess safety, so to speak, because you've got all these young guys, uh, as Cedric kind of mentioned. But I think with all those guys, you mentioned Jerron Bradley. He's a guy that's been in the program. I mentioned Loic Fungi. He's another guy that's been someone. But the thing is, is like you talk about all these guys, minus uh, Dalton Rigdon and, and McLean Maddox. Uh, I believe it's uh, Cleveland, Sparkman, um, Bradley, and Fungi. I believe they have 12 receptions between all those five. So, again, not much experience after – as a comment, some of the other guys, because of what you just mentioned, you lose several guys to the transfer portal. But I think uh, the, 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 the one maybe positive you can look at is you're getting guys that are bought into your program. You're talking about the transfer portal. And I read, tell me if this is right, there may be as many as 16 transfers on the two deep in yep. the fall. And I read yep. some about these, these defensive guys like Reggie Pearson, the safety from Wisconsin, and the kid out of – Michigan State with Brandon Boyer. I mean, yep. got an Aggie defensive end. Tell me yep. a little bit about some of those transfers from big power five schools, Carlos. Well, I think for sure you are set at the linebacker position. I, w- I-, I am going to go on record with both of y'all and say they probably have the best linebacking core in the Big 12 when you look wow. at Jeffers, Jacob Morgenstern, and Colin Schooler. Because then after that, you still have Krishan, Sean uh, Merriweather. Brandon Boyer, Randall, and Kosey Eldridge. You've got a two deep at your linebacker position with guys that have started games. Like, it's not like you've got your three starters, oh, great, but then when someone's hurt, you bring someone in, it might be like a freshman or a sophomore that's still kind of finding his way. You literally have guys that have started games at each of those spots. So I think that's certainly something that they are looking to ensure is going to be their linchpin on the defensive end. And going to your point, you've got Demarcus Fields, uh, who's – Obviously, as everyone calls it, a super senior. I'm just calling him a redshirt senior because, as Don likes to say, he's not super. That's kind of a uh, descriptive <laughs> term for for someone playing super. So, redshirt senior and Demarcus Fields, he's going to be someone that you expect. And then, the the guy that I think is going to be the the key for this Texas Tech defense is how will Adrian Fry play? Because you've got all these other transfers, Rayshad Williams from UCLA, and Eric Monroe, an LSU transfer that maybe didn't play as well as you'd like to. Uh, maybe he's going to be a little bit more aggressive this year because, again, you've got a couple years with some of these guys, and I think that's something to be said and something that some people forget is, yes, you're getting all these transfers, but Matt Wells and his coaching staff has somehow found a way to 
find a transfer that has one or two years. So you're not necessarily having to scramble for a scholarship the next year because you lose this guy and then, okay, we have to go and go through this process. Once again, it's the only thing they're really looking at are just freshmen to kind of, uh, put into those slots to where they feel, okay, we can kind of build this guy, which is interesting because typically that, that was kind of a different thought. It's like you have all these freshmen, but you would get all these transfers to kind of really kind of put into where you feel, you felt like you didn't uh, recruit well in a recruiting cycle. Now it's, uh, do we have a spot for, for a high school kid? Now they're keeping more spots for transfer guys because you never know what you might need. Yeah. So, 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 so I think that's kind of interesting. And again, uh, Marquise Waters, I think he's going to be a good player. He's someone that has been uh, really mentioned within the, within the uh, football facility as a guy that can be really good, played 49 games at Duke uh, with uh, Derek Jones, who's the cornerbacks coach or defensive backs coach, pardon me, at Texas Tech. So that's how that connection was made. Again, just these coaching connections, that's how they built it. It's just, will they fit into our program? Did they start? Are they, you know, good with academics? Are they good off the field? And again, that's something that I think is another thing to kind of be said with Matt Wells. There hasn't really been much, you know, off the field drama too. Like I know that the losing is kind of the thing that's really kind of highlighted, but I think that there are certain things that you look at with this program that have kind of turned around with Matt Wells. Again, I know everyone is looking for that uh, breakthrough year. And I think this has to be that year because again, you have a really good defense. Hopefully your offense should be what it should be. And I would like to think they could at least get six wins this year. Um, I think that would be something that could be done if you start three and zero with your non-conference schedule. And obviously, we can get into that if that's uh, later in this conversation. But I think with what you have on defense, as you mentioned, with Reggie Pearson and kind of all those guys, they did their homework. They made sure that they are guys that will fit in with what they're doing. And I think it's going to be an interesting way to see how Keith Patterson is able to utilize all these guys because that was one thing. That was noticeably uh, absent in the first couple of years of Matt Wells was the depth on defense because they would always get tired. They only had certain guys to kind of rotate. I, I remember Eli Howard mentioned it's just like I feel like I'm on every play throughout the game. And now it's like you've got guys to where if you are gassed, you can come out. You got a guy that's experienced can get in, and now you've got guys that can kind of really go 100 percent each each play. And I think that's going to be the big thing for the defensive side. Who do they play non-conference? Oh, my God, you would ask me, Kirk. Uh, I, I know Houston is uh, the, the big one. Okay. And then, um, and then there's obviously the, the, the wow. usual non-power five. I probably should have had this up, so I apologize. You, know, gonna... you mentioned about, you know, nobody wants to give anybody a pass. But to me, it's really the COVID really hurt the, the new coaches or in their first. Oh, absolutely. Season, like Wells absolutely. and then and Baylor and. Dana Hogerson's another one in Houston. So I think the no off season, are you playing or you're not playing? I think, you know, some may call it an excuse, but I think, you know, you got to give some leeway, you know, for coaches that are trying to build their program. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. Matt Wells was for the first to say, he's like, we, we won't make this an excuse, but he's uh, say, essentially saying again, depending on how you are as a fan, take it. But he was essentially saying, yes, this is something that is affecting us, but we're not going to make it an excuse. And I know just talking to Don and kind of doing all the numbers, but they had a lot of guys out due to COVID throughout the year. Hmm. And the thing that people, I guess, forget is that when you're out with COVID, you're essentially out for three weeks with the way that the testing protocols happen. And then not only that, but then you had to test again and make sure that you were out 
or that you were cleared. So essentially you have, and not only that, but then you're not allowed to be in the, in, in the, around the facility. So it's like, you're essentially doing practice through zoom. So the whole reason some of these football teams looked not that great was because they weren't able to get that chemistry you normally get through an off season, or you kind of just working out with guys just randomly, you're not able to do that. And I think that's going to show this year where for lack of a better term, maybe you had a normal off season. I don't know what that looks like for some of those guys compared to last year, but the fact that they had one, I think is a positive. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that you're going to have summer workouts is going to be huge. The fact that coaches can work with them a little bit more because of the new roles, I think is going to be big. But I think uh, that, that that's really kind of the, the, the thing I'm taking away from that last year, Kirk. And I know, again, it's not a popular opinion amongst fans because they're just going to look at the wins and losses. And so so be it. Obviously, they're, they're paid uh, the money they are, and this is the way that it is. But the thing is, is, like when you look at what they had, they were up on Texas. If that onside kick bounces a different way, you win the game. You know, right. it just – that's the thing that that's really interesting – or intriguing, I guess, about Matt Wells is he has just had some interesting ways to lose or just interesting results throughout his career. If I'm not mistaken, I remember Don and I were talking about it that first couple of years. It's like he had several games where they lost by three or less. Oh, yeah. And then there was the butt fumble at Baylor. You had just all these things. It's just one of those right. deals where the first year after that happened, it was all about, okay, Let's learn how to finish games. It seemed like they learned how to finish some games last year. They didn't finish the Texas game clearly, but they're, they're slowly building towards this, as you kind of really mentioned it, this all around team that can play offense, play defense and special teams might be the thing that's going to be the interesting factor going into this because they've got a guy in uh, pardon me, Trey Wolf that they thought was good. And then all of a sudden you, you went to uh, Lozano last year, I believe. And, now you've got two guys that are kind of battling for that for that uh, special team spot at kicker. So where do you have them finishing, Carlos? Let's just get down to brass tacks. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I would be shocked if they are not at least at the top five of, the, wow. of this conference. Top five. Wow. I, like, like, like I said, if and, and now that I have the schedule in front of me, I can kind of tell you all how this goes. So Houston, okay. I think that's going to be the biggest game. That's where they start. Are you going to beat Dana Holgerson? Are you going to start off? Because if you beat Houston, Stephen F. Austin's next. You should win that. Again, I, I hate being that person, but in theory, your athletes are better than Stephen F. Austin. The sure. way everything looks like on paper, you should be good. Then you've got Florida International before you go and travel to Austin, which that's going to be the the interesting one for not only the Red Raiders because they've got a coach that's been there for a while, but they're playing a coach in Steve Sarkeesian that's going to be in his first year. So there's going to be a little bit of pressure on his end because mm-hmm. he's going to be at home. And again, the last couple of years, minus Oklahoma, Texas Tech is hung with every other team in this conference mm-hmm. and maybe Iowa State to, to a point as well. But I think everyone struggled with Iowa State in that cloud defense. But right, I think that's going to be interesting. So if I had to guess, that's going to be three and one. Then you're at West Virginia. I think they're better than West Virginia, so that's four and one. You're going to play TCU. I think that one. I think Sonny Cumbie's going to have a little bit of a date circled there. I think they're going to win that one. So you've got five. Right. Then you play Kansas State at home. I would think they get that one. So no, you're no, you're right. at you're at Texas Tech. I mean, you're at KU on the 16th. Yeah. So that's that's uh, that's a win. Then you're. At- Correct. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, I miss Kansas. You are correct. So you're essentially playing both Kansas teams back to back days or back to back weekends. So you're going to get Kansas. That's going to be that. 
Then you play Kansas State. That's a toss-up. Oklahoma, I can honestly say Oklahoma's going to probably win that one. So, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you've got Iowa State. That one could be 50-50 because that one's at home. Oklahoma State, for some odd reason, Texas Tech has just owned them no matter what happens, especially if they're ranked. So, again, you could probably put a win on that one. And then at Baylor, I think that's going to be the interesting one because it's going to be the first time they've been away going forever. And number two, it's just how is uh, Dave Aranda and that team really kind of retool itself? Because that's something that Matt Wells has talked about. When you play teams at the end of the year, that's when they're playing their best because they've been able to kind of fix all the mistakes they've been making throughout the year. And I think that's, again, kind of going back to what I was talking about. I think six wins is doable, but can you kind of win some of these like uh, versus Iowa State or at Baylor? If you win those, then you could potentially get to seven to eight win territory. I don't think they're I don't think they're at nine yet, but I think if things you know position themselves right, I think they can at least get six and potentially eight. But for sure, they're they're bowl worthy as of right now, which is all you ask for uh, from Matt Wells because I think that's what people are looking for. It's just a successful season, one that ends with the bowl. Hopefully a win, obviously, depending on who you play there. But I think the thing that I take away from the last couple of years that they have played in this conference, they've been competitive minus Oklahoma and Iowa State. Everyone else, they've played pretty well. Now, again, Texas could be the outlier because they've got a new coach, a new system, and kind of all those things going on for it. But everyone else they played competitive with. And I think if they've figured anything out about finishing, they've got experience, I think they're able to get those wins against TCU. Clearly, Kansas is going to be one that's going to be circled. I think West Virginia was a team that they kind of battled with, but I think they've gotten a little bit above the Mountaineers at this point. And then again, Baylor is that other one. They probably could have got a big win against them two years ago, but again, there was a weird uh, fumble or I don't know what it was, but apparently the ball was snapped and they, I don't know, I again, I call it a butt fumble, but... Crazy play. um, Yeah, so again, when you really look at it, depending on how the ball has been bounced or just how things happen, you could have had a top top win against Texas, could have had a top win against Baylor when they were ranked. But, again, you don't. So now that's yeah. why he's yeah, essentially – I don't know if he's on the hot seat, but he's certainly getting looked at yeah. right now because I, I think most people that have a correct mind, I guess is the best way to say it, can understand where some of the – uh, difficulties have been for Matt Wells at least last year. I think they can understand that. Again, the wins and losses are where everyone's graded, but I think you can understand that. But I think he's learned the first couple years, and I think there's a reason that he was picked by Kirby because he's shown that he has those down years, but then he kind of bounces back, and I think this is that bounce-back year for Matt Wells. Well, that's exciting, man. Carlos, thanks for sharing some knowledge with us, man. We appreciate it, my friend. <laughs> Doing what I can, fellas. Appreciate y'all, and hopefully we'll see you in Austin without masks, right? Love it, brother. Thank thank you, man. Take care, man. Be safe. That will do it for episode 222 of On Second Thought. We have to thank our guy, Carlos Silva of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, for joining us this week for as part of our Big 12 countdown. We'll do it again next week. For the Duck, Kirk Bowles, I'm Cedric Golden. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.